The city of Pittsburgh is trying to do something nice to honor Dan Rooney. The city wants to hold the St. Patrick's Day parade in his name. I get it. The Irish Connection, former ambassador and that. But do you want to have your name basically as the title sponsor for the single drunkest day on the Pittsburgh calendar? Do you want the day where 25-year-old girls are strewn around the sidewalks like The Walking Dead up and down Carson Street on the south side with their broken green heels, green beer puke in their hair, crying through their temporary shamrock tattoos on their cheeks and saying this, this is for Dan Rooney. Now wave your green terrible towel and use it to wipe the vomit off your cheek. I'm Tim Benz from Trib Live, Steelers Radio Network, and of course ESPN Pittsburgh. This is the Mark Madden Show. Mark is back tomorrow. I'm at Buford's today in advance of Penn's Kings tonight on the X. Bud Light specials all day long. Drink like it's St. Patrick's Day early. Let's Penguin Talk today. Daryl Evans is an analyst on the Kings Network. He's going to join us at 3.35. The latest on Matt Cullen returning to Pittsburgh. That talk, too. We'll discuss that as well. Some new news coming from The Athletic in Minnesota. Who is Pittsburgh's main competition in the East and beyond? And Josh Yoey with us at about 5.45 or so in advance of our hockey night pregame or during our hockey night pregame before we get to the network pregame show at 6 o'clock. Play-by-play with Mike Lang and Phil Bork at 7. So lots of Penns talk throughout the day here. Jim Rutherford with some interesting comments as well that I want to dive into in the 4 o'clock hour. But I am going to start with the Steelers and the Pirates, and how the differences between the two franchises were more or less crystallized, summarized, in the span of just 24 hours. Yesterday, you may have heard us mocking Clint Hurdle's comments about how the city of Pittsburgh was going to explode when the Pirates won the World Series. When? You know, like, it's going to happen eventually. You know, like, it could happen this year. Clint Hurdle is going so far as to talk about the Pirates and the World Series just a few weeks after the best era of Pirates baseball since 1992 was deconstructed before the very eyes of the fan base. And he got a lot of grief for it. And he should. Some defenders of Hurdle are getting his back by countering, well, what else is he supposed to say? We're going to suck? Well, no. But Pirate fans, I think... I know, I am one. Pirate fans are turned off because they're being lied to. Pirate fans are tired of hearing BS. Pirate fans are, more than any fan base in America at this point, exposed to spin control from the franchise, and they know what it smells like. Am I right? I mean, you tell me, Pirate fans. Was that really what you wanted to hear from Hurdle yesterday? especially since Bob Nutting and Neil Huntington just gave you a heaping helping of that for a month plus. 412-333-9939. Now, let me give you a comparison from the Steelers on that front. You might remember Art Rooney II got some criticism from the public, myself included, in the Trib and right here on this radio show earlier in the week for not going far enough in his criticism, his critique of his own defense. Remember he said, eh, it's just hard to play defense in this league. The playoffs prove that. It's just hard to play defense. What? That wasn't far enough. And we ripped him for it. That was tone deaf. That's not what people wanted to hear. 
And I was by no means alone on that. Many people, even some nationally in the media, were critical of what Rooney said on that front. So what has he done since then? What did Art Rooney II do after hearing that blowback from fans and media members locally outside of here? Did Rooney double down on the double talk like Hurdle did on behalf of his GM and his owner? No. Again, I'll use the phrase tone deaf. He proved not to be tone deaf. Check out these quotes. My colleague at the Trib, Joe Rudder, put them together in a story for the Trib. This is Rooney speaking with Steelers Nation Unite members. Okay, This is like a, a fan Q&I kind of thing that he did. Quote, last year, there were some games where he was kind of soft against the run. That's not Steeler football or Steeler defense. That's the owner calling his own defense soft. Continuing the quote, we have to start by making sure we are strong against the run and try to put the other team in passing situations so we can get back after the quarterback, Rooney said. Also, when it came to sacking the quarterback, the Steelers led the NFL course with 56 sacks, but had none in that playoff loss to Jacksonville. And I'll point to just 17 overall from the outside linebackers, anecdotally, too. Here's another quote from Rooney on that front. That's one of the strengths of our defense that we need to continue capitalizing on. We're working on identifying the areas we need to improve on, and being consistent on both sides of the ball is something I think we can do. Asked about areas that need to be addressed in the NFL draft, Rooney said, we're probably going to pick some guys on the defensive side of the ball. We have to be strong on defense as well as on offense, so it's probably going to be a little heavier on the defensive side. In other words, he's giving the people, A, what they want to hear, but B, more importantly, what's accurate, what's true. And if that wasn't enough, how about Kevin Colbert today? He spoke with media members on the south side, and he went even further. Here's Kevin on the Steelers' defense. And it did get better until the end. And I, I think, obviously, Ryan was a big part. Not having Ryan was a big part of that. The defense did improve, but we were still giving up some big plays um, that we hadn't uh, previously. The, the run stuff was... Um, the Chicago game was, you know, we were very bad in the run game, run defense. And then there were some other games later on uh, where we didn't play as well. And it, it was almost like we were, I don't want to say non-aggressive, but, you know, we were under-aggressive against the run and over-aggressive against the pass and getting ourselves caught out of position. Soft, non-aggressive. You know, these are not complimentary things, but just bad in talking about the Chicago game. And actually, forget the defense specifically. For, forget that. Maybe I buried the lead here. Maybe this was even the bigger comment from Colbert. The Steelers just went 13-3, and and Colbert said we were worse than we were last year when we were 11-5 and because we didn't even win a playoff game. We won two last year, didn't win any this year, so we were worse. Meanwhile, you got the Pirates trying to tell you about their win projection models the day after the Garrett Cole trade. Are you kidding? Heck, Colbert took it one step further, demanding changes to a roster he constructed so the Steelers will be better than 13-3 in 2018. I do believe that group has a chance to get better. Does that mean we won't add to it? Um, if we don't change the roster we had in 2017, what reason would we think there would be any difference in the results? So we have to be ready to better than we were last year so do you see my point do you get where i'm coming from one team read the room the other team read its own press release 
And as Pirate fans, doesn't that make you mad? And as Steelers fans, because if you're like me, you're both. As Steelers fans, doesn't that at least make you happy that the front office is at least smart enough to go the other direction and acknowledge the big picture issues in front of their faces? 412-333-9939. You can also tweet me at Tim Benz PGH. Plus more news where the Steelers are smart. They're smart enough to get rid of the Bumblebee uniforms. That's the other news. New throwback uniforms will be coming this year. The Bumblebee uniforms are dead. Tunchill and Bill Hillgrove celebrating as we speak. Let's go to the phones. Dave's calling from his car. Hi, Dave. Go ahead. You're on 105.9 The X. Yeah, um, I was just wondering, I mean, looking at it from the perspective that cities and, 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 and their sports teams are very important, and separating the Pirates from the Nuttings, can, can you can you imagine, or is that a stupid question, to think that we could go after them, the city could go after them for theft of services or breach of contract? Uh, that was asked by Adam Crowley upstairs at ESPN Pittsburgh earlier uh, this month, or last month perhaps. He brought up the lease of PNC Park, and uh, according to what the mayor said when he was on with Adam talking about something completely different, uh, he looked at it, and there's nothing that can be done. So the answer is no. Uh, there's nothing really that can be done from a new, sorry, municipal level to address what you're talking about. Uh, the only thing that can be done is uh, for whatever way you can as a fan uh, stay away from the park to encourage the owner to sell. But if he does that, he's just going to keep cutting payroll, keep the team, and keep profits where he wants them to be. So that's also counterintuitive. That's why all the talk of, a, of an organized fan boycott is silly. It doesn't work. It hasn't worked in the past. It won't work this time as well. Uh, I think it's just up to each individual consumer to make their own decision about how they want, they want to spend their dollars. Uh, but the less dollars that are spent at the park, don't think that's going to scare Bob Nutting into not owning the team anymore. All it's going to do is going to um, encourage him to keep the profit margins where they are by continuing to keep the payroll light and keep less than quality players on the roster. 412-333-9939. I want to continue to take your thoughts on that. And um, I, I do want Steeler calls on this, too. When you heard what Art Rooney said, when you heard what Kevin Colbert said, each in the past 24 to 48 hours, are you feeling a little bit better about the state of the team moving forward now that the issues are being more properly acknowledged on the defensive side of the ball, whereas I felt like those guys, maybe even Mike Tomlin, too, couched their concerns way too much in the weeks immediately following the Steelers' exit in the Super Bowl itself. Uh, when we come back, I also want to get to something else Steeler-related. There's a dangerous narrative growing about the Steelers that I want to get to. Daryl Evans, former NHLer, now with the Kings. He'll join us at 335 and uh, some more Pirates talk before they hit the top of the hour as well. Tim Benson for Mark Madden on 105.9 The X. Absolutely beautiful. The X at 105.9. At Buford's, right next to PPG Paint Serena, Tim Benson from Mark Madden, courtesy of Bud Light, three fifty for Bud Light drafts, four dollars for aluminum Bud Light bottles. We are here until six o'clock, and then at that point, it is the pregame show before Kings and Pens tonight at PPG Paints. Uh, if you're trying to get through before, got a busy signal, uh, had a little snafu with the phones, but we're up and running again now, so if you want to get through, now is the time to do it. Uh, what we we're talking about before the commercial break was the difference in how the 
Steelers and the Pirates have handled some negative blowback of late. Like, for instance, the Steelers got bounced by Jacksonville, as you well know by now, in the playoffs. And then afterwards, Art Rooney got some criticism, Art Rooney II, for um, being too soft on the defensive failures for the team throughout the second half of the season. And he responded today, or make that yesterday, by talking to Steeler Nation Unite members and calling his own defense soft against the run. Kevin Colbert with media members today turning around and saying that the roster needs to get better from a 13-3 and team, that they weren't good enough, that they are actually better the year before, and also echoed Rooney's sentiments about the defense, the sense that he said it just wasn't good at times. Uh, also used the word uh, not aggressive enough against the run, used that phrase. Meanwhile, you got the Pirates talking about projection models after the Garrett Cole trade and how at the time before they traded Kutch, it looked like they were going to be better, which is kind of funny on two fronts. Well, okay, if they look better after you traded Cole, why did you turn around and then trade Kutch when all of a sudden the models made it look like you weren't going to be as good as you were last year when you weren't any good? First of all, it's spin, and it's not even good spin at that. And then what happened, Clint Hurdle, first day of spring training down in Florida yesterday, what did he do? He made a talk about... He made them sound like they were World Series contenders. Like, at some point, we're going to see a World Series here in Pittsburgh. We are? Really? Uh, when's that going to happen? Uh, what, do you want to be do you want to be lied to, or do you want the truth? I prefer the truth. 412-333-9939. KK from Turtle Creek. Go ahead, KK. Hey, Tim. How you doing? Okay. Hey, the reason why I called is uh, you kind of got me upset there with your statement about the fact that... Uh, if nobody goes to the Pirates games, that um, you know that there will be no impact, and they'll just lower the you know lower the value of the roster. I totally disagree with that. There's teams, the professional teams, that move all the time. As far as I'm concerned, you got to say that's the only that's the only thing that a uh, paying customer has is to elect to spend his money in, in other places. Let them move that team. Let's see what Wait, happens. What do you mean move? The, they're, they're bound to the lease at PNC Park for, I believe, what, another 15 years? But if you, are you telling me... You're going to boycott for 15 years? Hey, listen, there's, there's ways all around it. This is about, this is about money. It's not about... Yes, uh, it's about money, and that's my point. He is a very bottom-line-oriented businessman, so whatever he's going to do is he's going to keep the profit margins where he wants them to be. And if people don't go, and that's their choice to not go, if they don't think they're getting a quality product, fine. Then he's just going to keep lowering the payroll until he meets his profit margins. I, I understand what you're saying, and I get it. I really get it. But the realities of it all is, is if nobody goes, what will end up happening is that team will end up moving. Yeah, and in 15 and years. And that would make a lot of people around here happy because... We don't really need them, and we don't really want them for the most part, although there are people... No, you, you do. See, now, now you're taking it in a completely different direction, and one that's too far. People want baseball here. You can't tell me that what you saw for three years was something that people didn't want. They wanted the Pittsburgh Pirates here and to be good. They just don't want a subpar quad A program. That's what they don't want. 412 Thirty-nine. Uh, I got another Steelers point to get to, and one other uh, Pirates mention I want to hit before the top of the hour. We'll do that. But uh, with Penguins playing the Kings tonight, Daryl Evans is going to join us next. He's an analyst on the Kings broadcast. We'll talk about the opponent tonight for Pittsburgh and see what they have in store for the Pens. That's next. You're in your home for the Pens. One hundred five nine. The X. This is Patrick Hornquist of the Pittsburgh Penguins. You're listening to Mark Madden and the best hockey talk on one hundred five nine. The X. 
Patrick Hornquist healing and getting better. Penguins playing pretty well of late, particularly at home over the last nine games. They look to get another win tonight against the L.A. Kings. Tim Benz in for Mark Madden here on the X. Pleased to be joined right now by Daryl Evans, former NHL player, now an analyst for the Kings. They play the Penguins at PPG Paints Arena at 7. Our network pregame begins at 6. Our pregame show at 5.30 here on the Mark Madden program. Tim in for Mark today. And, Daryl, thank you so much for joining us. I guess you're in the middle of, what is this exactly here, a seven-game, 11-day road trip? Is that what the Kings are in the middle of right now? Yeah, seven games, and uh, it's a span over 13 days. Uh, but it's, uh, it's the middle game on that trip, so it's a pivotal game. And, you know, it's, uh, it's an important one, uh, you know, especially for where the Kings are in the standings right now. Every two points is, is huge, and... They need to get themselves back on the right track against a team that's playing exceptionally well on home ice. Yeah, let's talk about the playoff race where it sits right now in the West for L.A. Of course, here in Pittsburgh, we're so focused on the East all the time. The Kings make that move where Dion Phaneuf gets traded in the middle of the last Penguins game from Ottawa. They're obviously trying to improve, think they're still in it, just three points out of the uh, final spot in the division and overall for the wild card. What's your level of optimism that they can actually track down a spot here, especially after that move, Daryl? Well, I think the move, the move really does enhance things. Uh, I think it's something that the Kings needed back in the blue line, a little bit more stability. I think in Phaneuf, they get a veteran player, a guy that can play in your top four. He can eat up some big minutes. He's got a little bite to his game, a little versatility, can play both the left and right side, can add to both your special teams, power play, and penalty kill. And uh, I think that's something that the Kings need. And I think up front, acquiring Thompson a little bit more experienced, uh, really good in the face-off circle. And then getting closer to the deadline, uh, you know, it'll probably be look like the after the deadline. But, uh, you know, Jeff Carter getting back in the lineup will be a huge boost for the team as well. So I think with the, the moves that are made right now, not to say that the Kings are done, I think it definitely pushes them in the right direction. It's a team that's got a lot of experience at this time of year making these type of runs. And uh, hopefully it'll pay dividends and they'll get themselves, uh, you know, in, into the postseason play and, we all know from, uh, you know, the experience that they've had in this franchise, you know, going back to 212, that, you know, once you get in there, anything's a possibility of happening, and uh, that's what the Kings are looking for right now. Daryl, as far as the way the road trip started, not bad, right? I mean, you go to Florida and get a 3-1 victory. Uh, quick's good in the net, uh, take care of business there. But then the last two games before he came here to Pittsburgh were really rough, allowing 11 goals over those two contests at Tampa and Carolina. Uh, was that sort of the tipping point to get the fin- the FNUF deal done? Too many shots on goal, uh, too many power play goals? Uh, you talked to me about that. Where, where did things really tip to get the FNUF deal done? Well, I think it's something we talked to Rob Blake earlier today, and it's something that's been in the works. This is, you know, a type of deal that you don't make overnight. Uh, so I think it's something that the Kings have been looking at, regardless of where the last couple of games have gone. But it was a good start to the road trip. They picked up a big two points in Florida. They battled hard. Uh, probably deserves some type of uh, an outcome in the game in Tampa Bay, getting 47 shots on the Lightning and coming up one goal short. But a little bit of concern the way the game went in Carolina. Uh, Darcy Kemper played the one in uh, Tampa. And then Quick started the one in Carolina, and in both cases, the Kings made goaltending changes. But collectively, as a group, uh, you know, the Kings have been notorious for being a real solid defensive team. The penalty kill, which has been basically number one the entire season up to the last week, in the last, uh, you know, uh, 10 games now, is, uh, has given up way too many goals against, a total of 12 goals against over that period, three goals on a couple of occasions. So the penalty kill has to shore up, and they, they need to start getting some contribution. Uh, Tyler Toffoli, who, you know, 
is uh, the ability and has scored 30 goals in the National Hockey League. He scored his first goal in 14 games the other night in Carolina. So, you know, in the absence of Jeff Carter, some of that offense is, is needed. And uh, I think this is just a, a little bit of a jolt uh, management showing that, you know, we're going to do all we can at our on our end of things, and now you as players have to take care of the rest of it. So be curious really to see the way they respond, the way they come out tonight, again, against a very good team here in Pittsburgh that's playing well at home and, you know, won a couple of Stanley Cups in a row. So they know how to get the job done, and it's, it's it really is, a you know, a, a tall task for the Kings tonight. Joel Evans is our guest. He is the color analyst for the L.A. Kings. Make sure you check out Pens and Kings tonight here on 105.9 The X at 7. Uh, Daryl, you alluded to, as I did, the penalty kill not being up to snuff as the way it has been throughout the better part of the season of late. Uh, is that a matter of you know the cliche kicking in? Has the goaltending not been the best part of the penalty kill, or has it been something else? I think it's a, li- a little bit of everything. Uh, too many penalties in some games. I think any time that you start taking... You know, better than four, five, six penalties a game. I think you start to expose your penalty killers. Uh, they're definitely missing a guy like Jeff Carter, who's, you know, one of the top four in the penalty kill, good in the face-off circle. And because of his absence in the face-off circle, uh, Kopitar's, you know, been forced to take almost half the draws, you know, since he's been out. And, you know, that, that takes its toll. Uh, there's a lot of ice time that he's been eating up on. So they're spending a lot more time in a defensive zone because of that, not winning as many face-offs. But, you know, the guy's just a half a second late getting into the shooting lanes and not clearing pucks out on the initial attempt and then not getting, you know, the big save when you need it. Uh, you know, you're, when your penalty killer's going good, generally your best penalty killer is your goaltender, and the other teams have done a good job at, you know, setting up screens, uh, creating some redirection, second and third opportunities. So I think it's, it's, a, it's a group effort. It's something that they have to really focus on as a group. And uh, no better time to, or anything to draw your attention than when you're going up against the league's best power play unit. So it, it's going to be, like I say, a tall task tonight with uh, you know with the uh, likes of Crosby on the other side, Malkin, Kessel. You know they've got a lot of weapons over there. So the Kings are going to have to be on their toes, as are their goaltenders. I heard you reference Kopitar before. The numbers look great on paper. Uh, in fact, he's just out of the top 10 right now in scoring with 61 points, uh, 23 goals in 56 games. Uh, he's shooting at 17.5%. Um, give me a firsthand analysis, Daryl, of what you've seen from Kopitar, the numbers reflective of how well he's playing. Yeah, the, the, the numbers tell no lies. Uh, this has been arguably Kopitar's best year uh, from start to finish. He's been very consistent. Uh, I think because of the extra workload, I think he, you know, he, he's settled in nicely. Um, anytime you need to get a player going, he gets put on Kopitar's line. He's done a great job with the young Ayafalo on his left side. Uh, and that's allowed some other guys to be able to grow their game. But his power play penalty kill, you look at how responsible his numbers are. I think he's a plus 19 going into tonight's game. Um, you know, he, he's leading the team in, in goals. He's leading the team in assist points. Uh, you know, he, he's doing it all for the Kings. And I think last year, you know, he had a subpar year. A uh, couple of things that, you know, come to mind. His first year he's made captain, a little extra responsibility. Maybe it played on his mind a little bit. Jonathan Quick going down the first first night of the season. Uh, you know, I think it put a little strain on him, but he settled in nicely. And, you know, right now is the first time in his career that he's that he's averaged over, you know, a point a game for, you know, this this stage of the season. So we'll see how it rides out. But uh, there's no doubt that Andre Kopitar is, you know, playing up to the bill, and uh, he, he's he's the leader of the hockey club. Is he bragging about Slovenia's upset over America? <laughs> yeah, you know, he said I was asking him about that, and 
he said he'd been uh, exchanging some texts and some contact with some of the guys. But no, I think he's you know extremely proud of his country. Uh, you know that's that's huge, regardless of what happens the rest of the way. For them to be able to step up in a game against the, you know against the United States and you know to come up on the uh, favorable side of it, uh, that's huge. I think it just goes to show you the impact that his you know his name and you know his family, his dad's involved quite a bit with the national team over a number of years. Uh, the impact that they've had on the game of hockey over in Slovenia, so that's great. And uh, I think he's what you would call one proud Slovenian right now. Well, no, you're from Toronto, right, Daryl? Yes, sir. How has the Olympic format gone over amongst Canadian hockey fans? Are they as into it as they normally are, or what's generally the take that you've gotten uh, that you know from uh, Canadian hockey circles, the players on the team with the Kings that you travel with? Uh, how much attention is being paid to the Olympics with the format being such as it is? I think we'll probably be able to tell a little further as the, you know as you get a little bit deeper into the games. But I, I think there's a I think there's a, a level of attention. Uh, you know, there's some. Uh, I think, you know, this time, you know, especially in the earlier games, you know, I think where when you look at the, you know, teams like the U.S. and Canada maybe rolled over some of their opponents, you know, you expect them to be, you know, on the dance floor towards the end. But I think, uh, you know, the path to the dance floor is a, a little bit, uh, there's a little bit more parity in it right now. And I think what that does is it creates some great scenarios in the games. I think, you know, the ones that come out on top are going to be the, you know, the fans themselves. I think there's going to be some great hockey you know, there's definitely going to be some mistakes made, but I think it's going to be very entertaining, and uh, it'll be interesting to see the way it all plays out come the end. But I think you know, when you get down to the you know final four, you know final eight teams, and you know we'll see where everybody's at. But I don't think there's any doubt that you know both Canada and the U.S. are you know proud countries, and especially when it comes to the game of hockey, that you know they're they're behind their teams, and uh, you know I think it's uh, no different than any other year. I know it's a little different not having the NHL guys there for the first time in a lot of years, but. I think they'll definitely be uh, there supporting their flags and uh, looking for the best uh, outcome for their respective countries. Last points of the Kings I wanted to ask you about, Daryl. Um, you mentioned Toffoli and his struggle snapping out of it of late. So I'll kind of throw, ask you to do sort of a 30-second take on each of these. But uh, Toffoli, why did he struggle before he finally scored? And uh, just a quick thought on the overall seasons of Drew Doughty and Jonathan Quick. Well, I think with Toffoli, uh, you know, He's a very opportunistic type of guy. Uh, you know, he's got to make sure he's got his legs moving. He's not, you know, he's not the quickest skater, but he's got great instincts in the offensive zone. So he has to make himself available. There's no doubt that have, not having Jeff Carter around that he's missed, you know, that centerman uh, with that poise and ability to be able to get him the puck. But again, with his, with his ability, he has to find a way to, you know, to finish, especially when he's playing on a prominent on the uh, first power play unit. Uh, Jonathan Quick, uh, you know, up till a couple of weeks ago when he had a little bit of a hiccup, you know, he's still the backbone of the hockey club. He's the pulse of the hockey club. Uh, a lot of players, you know, they look to him as, you know, they not necessarily call him the most valuable player, but he's the most important player on this team. And I still feel that if the Kings are going to push and get themselves in the playoffs, it's going to be on the shoulders of Jonathan Quick. And Drew Doughty's been outstanding. Uh, you know, he too, you know, through the course of the year, a lot of young guys on on his defense, partnering, uh, pairing. Uh, whether it's been Forbert, uh, you know, we've seen a couple of other young guys, McDermott, the early part of the year. Drew Dowdy continues to get the job done. You look at his numbers, his plus minus, more importantly, every night he's playing against the opposition's top players and, you know, he continues to lead, you know, be up amongst the league leaders in ice time. So, uh, Drew Dowdy's a real deal, as is Jonathan Quick and, and Kopitar. That's the big three in the prominent positions for the Kings, you know, goaltender, defense and, and center. And if this team is going to have, uh, you know, some say in the playoffs, it's all going to be on those three guys. Daryl, before you leave, I got to ask you: since you scored the goal on April tenth, nineteen eighty-two, the miracle on Manchester, have you had to buy a steak in Los Angeles? 
<laughs> I'm, I must say I have, but you know what? That 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 goal has definitely gone a long way. It's you know it's something that I that I never forget, and you know I, I think probably even more so as the years have gone on. I've le- really learned to appreciate how how special that goal is and and the importance of you know what you know really what it did for you know some hockey in, in California. It's uh, it's great to have people remember it and. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it was a sp- such a special, not only game, but that whole series against the Oilers was something I'll never forget. How, how'd you guys come back from 5 nothing down in a playoff game? I just I can't imagine that. <laughs> well, if you look at it, I mean, they, going into that playoff series that year, they finished 46 points ahead of us. So it was supposed <laughs> to be a three-game sweep. We were down 4-1 in game one of the series. We ended up beating them 10-8. We lose 3-2 in overtime. Gretzky scores. We win the game 6-5 in overtime. That was a miracle game. The next game we lose... Three to two, and then you know, then both teams flew on the same plane going into Edmonton for Game Five of the series, and you know we won that game seven four. So it was ironic that we win ten eight six five and seven four, and they won the two three two games, and they were the highest scoring team in the league that year. So it was just, uh, I, I think that definitely the you know the short series played to our favor. I think had it been a seven game series, they would have changed their approach and probably would have found a way to you know to to, to beat us out. But I think at, at the end of the day, I think there was a big lesson learned from them. And it become a, a, a per, an important step in them going on to become champions in the years to follow. And, and remind me, did you go to Washington then Toronto, or Toronto then Washington? Uh, Washington then Toronto. All right. Of your two former Eastern Conference teams, if you had to bet on one to get out of the East, if it's not Pittsburgh, if it's one of those two, Toronto or Washington, who's got the better shot? You think? Well, you know, we've been waiting for Washington to go deep, but uh, this Toronto Maple Leaf team is—it's—I it, think it's something uh, you have to—you have to fear. They've got a little bit of experience from last year, and they've got speed and uh, so many weapons. So I, I would say I'm going to say Toronto right now, but uh, it, it could be a toss-up between those two teams. I think they both got a good chance, but I think just uh, the way things are running in Toronto right now, I would not be surprised to see them go a little further. Hey, Daryl, I have fun with the conversation. Thank you so much for joining us and taking the time. Uh, best of luck surviving the road trip. Get back in one piece and uh, enjoy the call tonight against the Pens. Okay. All right, look forward to it. It should be a great game. Look forward to catching up with you guys again later. You bet. All the best. Thanks, Daryl. All right, that is Daryl Evans. He is uh, the color analyst for L.A. King Broadcast. Tonight, be listening to Mike Lang and Phil Bork right here on 105.9 The X. Got the play-by-play at 7 o'clock. Our network pregame show at 6 and our hockey night show from here at Buford's, courtesy of Bud Light. $3.50 Bud Light drafts and $4 aluminum Bud Light bottles here throughout the course of our broadcast. We're upstairs today. I'll be on with Adam Crowley a little bit later on tonight as well at 6 o'clock once we're done here. 4 o'clock hour features Mike Pursuta as we talk about what Kevin Colbert had to say about the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. Heard some of those comments earlier. We'll get more into them with Mike. Uh, Interesting note about the Steelers' schedule for next year coming up. We'll get to that. And somebody really needs to step up their game for the Pirates, too. That's come before the top of the hour here on 105.9 The X. Yes, Mark Madden. Yeah, Mark. What do you say, buddy? Hi, buddy. Hey, Mr. Madden. How you doing? What, what if they wore assless chaps? Would that help at all? If they what? The X at 105.9. We don't have a ton of time here before we hit the top of the hour. Just a short break at the top of the hour anyway. Tim Benson from Mark Madden brought to you by CW Electrical Services. Make the switch at CWElectricalServices.com at Buford's right across from PPG Paints Arena. Uh, 7 o'clock start time for Kings and Pens tonight on the X. Uh, didn't get to this earlier. I tried to, but um, a little bit of a narrative kicking up here that the Steelers have an easy schedule for next year. If you just look at the number the Steelers' uh, opponents, 477 win percentage. And, of course, a lot of this is going to change after the draft, roster reconstruction, free agency, etc. So, A, don't pay a lot of attention to that now. And, B, don't get fooled by that number. 
Remember, the Steelers, as is the case for Baltimore and Cincinnati, have deflated-looking schedules or strength of schedule based on the fact that they all have the Browns factored into their math twice. So you get 0-16 for 16 thrown in there twice. Aside from that, the reality is the Steelers actually do have a very difficult schedule next season. Uh, Steeler Wire wrote about this today. Remember, the home games for the Steelers are, of course, the three divisional teams, Baltimore, Cleveland, and Cincy. Then... Pittsburgh has, at home, Carolina, Atlanta, KC, the Chargers, and the Patriots. So it's four playoff teams and a team that just missed the playoffs and was the last one out. That's their home slate. Luckily for them, on the road, it's a bit easier in the sense that they go to Oakland and Tampa and Denver, none of whom were playoff teams a year ago, but they always struggle in Oakland. They always struggle in Denver as well. And then the other two destinations are at New Orleans and Jacksonville. Uh, they don't usually play very well in New Orleans either, and Jacksonville beat them twice last year. So the Steelers' schedule, frankly, is quite difficult despite what you see in terms of math and opponent winning percentage, so don't let that narrative fool you. Other thing I wanted to bring up, and this was pirate-related, which I said I would get to before the top of the hour. I heard Ray Searage say something interesting today on their flagship station. He mentioned how Tyler Glasnow, it might be throwing out of the bullpen to get back into the rotation. And Ray did the whole, you know, back-in-my-day thing where you pitched from the bullpen to get in the rotation, and that's the way that maybe it should be for Tyler. Well, the back-in-my-day school of thought doesn't really apply to how pitchers are used these days. If you're projected as a starter, you want to refine your repertoire to the point that you have four pitches, uh, and relievers nowadays are so prone to just blow their way through one or at most two innings and rely on two pitches to get guys out in crucial high-leverage situations. Isn't that a bit out-of-date thinking from Ray? And by the way, I, I need to see a big year from Ray Searage. You know, he was great when it came to fixing guys that came to Pittsburgh, like uh, Nova and A.J. Burnett and Volquez and Grilly and Melanson and Happ. And uh, when he got here, Morton, uh, young pitchers he groomed, Rivero, Tyon, Cole, even Cool and Williams have gotten better. But lately, guys who have come here, he couldn't fix, like Hutchison and Jonathan Sanchez and Nice. That magic touch from Searage isn't quite what it used to be. Glass now, he hasn't figured out as of yet. And one thing we have to watch from Ray, too, it's not so much fixing guys when they get here, it's keeping them fixed. Or when they wobble again, it's getting them back on the right rail once more. Like Cole, he never got back to what he had been three years ago. Morton, after he fixed him the first time, never quite got back. Tony Watson, when he struggled in the role of closer. And, of course, Nova last year. Just to list a few examples. Um, that's one thing that needs to change. Speaking of narratives, that Ray Searage can fix anyone and everyone that's not quite true anymore, and uh, I think you need to see a big year out of Ray Searage now that he's decided to stay in Pittsburgh. I have a lot of faith in him as a pitching coach, but now more than ever, we need to see his master touch, his skills at work with this staff, especially with the alleged number one, Garrett Cole, now a Houston Astro. I'll take your thoughts on those topics and more at 412-333-9939. Back in 30 seconds, the one thing that Kevin Colbert did say today that I disagreed with We'll have that for you next. Tim Benson for Mark Madden.